Matthew chapter 13 verses 31 and 32 Jesus told them another parable The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed which a man took and planted in his field although it is the smallest of all seeds yet when it grows it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree so the birds come and perch in its branches The parable of the mustard seed is only two sentences long, yet, with this short illustration, Jesus paints a grand vision of what God's community is like. It is like a seed, he says, the smallest seed his followers would have known about in Mediterranean agriculture. Jesus says that someone has intentionally planted this tiny seed in their field, and then, with a mix of organic mystery and the farmer's care, it grows and grows, and one day, it becomes a large tree. Large enough that it can offer shelter to the creatures that find it. Its full branches extending to welcome the community of God's creation. What a beautiful and hopeful picture of God's kingdom of the community where God reigns with love and justice and compassion and truth. Something that begins so small and yet will become large, not to show off its size and strength and accomplishment, but so those in need can find hospitality and rest within it. The parable of God's kingdom reminds me of a community in Ireland a place called Glendala, where we'll meet today's saint, Kevin. During my week-long pilgrimage in Ireland, the last stop on our itinerary was the old monastic city of Glendala, about an hour south of Dublin. There's a 19-mile path known as St. Kevin's Way that follows the footsteps Kevin would have taken nearly 1,500 years ago, descending into a quiet valley with two lakes nestled among breathtaking mountains. Today, many visitors still choose to enter Glendalaw by foot, taking a full day to walk this pilgrimage path. Kevin was born sometime around 500 AD to a wealthy and noble family. He was known for being gentle, sincere, and, according to the stories, very handsome. He was a person of deep faith, and he longed for a life of solitude and prayer. As a young man, he left the comforts and privileges of his wealthy family to follow God's Spirit into the mountains. In his years wandering, he spent weeks and months in worship and prayer and fasting. Eventually, he settled in the valley at Glendala. He lived in little caves formed out of the rocky cliffs 
overlooking the serene lower lake, befriending the animals who were his companions. Left to his own volition, Kevin would have spent his whole life in prayerful solitude. However, he developed a reputation for wisdom and faith that drew people to him. People came from near and far to seek Kevin's counsel and prayers and to learn from him. Soon, a community began to form in this tucked away location in the wilds of Ireland. Like many of the Celtic monastic communities, it was a place of saints and scholars, work and commerce, refuge and prayer. Kevin still withdrew to his caves for long times of solitude with God, but he also became an influential leader of this new growing community. A community that would flourish and welcome many for hundreds of years. First, I invite you to pause your walk for a moment. If you're in a place, you can do so. Take a few deep breaths in through your nose and out your mouth. Bring your awareness to all of your senses. Acknowledge briefly your eyes seeing, your ears hearing, your skin feeling, your nose smelling, and your tongue tasting. Wherever you are, whether in the middle of a city or suburb, farmland or a forest, notice God's creation around you. Whether you choose to start walking again or stay in the spot you've paused, we're going to try noticing now where the parable of the mustard seed is coming to life in nature today. Like the mustard seed started out small, look around you for something that is very small. It could be something that will one day grow larger than you find it today. But it doesn't have to be. Draw closer to whatever is catching your attention. This thing may be small, but what potential does it hold within it? It may be tiny, but what impact does it have on the other things living around it? Next, scan your environment for something that is in the process of growing to its full stature. Maybe it's a tree that appears to only be a few years old. Maybe someone is walking a puppy nearby. Whatever it is, consider what that object or creature needs in order to keep growing. 
Is there something or someone who is intentionally caring for it? What may be happening organically that helps it develop? Even at its current size, how does it affect or influence the other creation nearby? Turn your attention now to a plant or tree that has likely reached its full size. Draw closer to it if you can. What hospitality does this plant or tree provide today? Is it a plant where creatures can find food for themselves? Does it offer up nutrients that will be carried farther off to provide for many others? Is it home to insects or birds or some kind of animal or even community shared among several of these kinds of creatures. Now, if it's possible, find a place where you can see your own reflection. This can be in the still water of a lake or a puddle, a window, or even the self-view of your phone's camera. I invite you to hold your own gaze, to award your reflection the same attention that you just gave to nature. See yourself as a part of God's creation. What do you notice about how you fit into the community of creation around you at this moment? What impact is your environment having on you? What impact are you having on what surrounds you? How do you feel as you consider yourself this way, as part of God's community of creation? The flourishing of the mustard tree and the monastic community at Glendalough 
each invite us to imagine how the Holy Spirit is at work growing God's kingdom. These examples are hopeful and inspiring as we seek to be part of community that reflects the kingdom of heaven. So what does it take to experience the kind of community that flourishes like a thriving tree with branches extending in service and hospitality? When it comes down to it, this sort of community requires daily choices to love in ways that are inconvenient, difficult, or tedious. It requires choosing to step into discomfort and choosing to make space for the most vulnerable. It's hard, it's gritty, it's uncomfortable. It asks of our time and, as today's story will show us, sometimes our bodies as well. There's a particular story about Kevin, probably the most well-known story about him, that illustrates the tension of saying yes for the sake of others in community. On one of Kevin's retreats into solitude, legend says he was praying with his hands outstretched, just beyond the opening of his little lakeside cave. As he stretched himself into that posture of worship, a blackbird landed in the palm of his hand. Kevin was so absorbed in prayer that he barely noticed as the little bird built a nest and then laid her eggs. When he did realize what happened, Kevin accepted these vulnerable, unexpected guests. The story says that he stayed there in that wearying position, his arms outstretched until the blackbird chicks were born. It takes almost two weeks for blackbird eggs to hatch. So by saying yes to hold space for this mama bird and her eggs, Kevin said yes to a stiff, aching body and yes to the interference and shift of his agenda. He didn't see the nest as a distraction from his prayer, but an extension of it. Just as his arms were extended fully to God in worship, he also extended them fully to support the fragile lives incubating in the nest in his palm. God called Kevin to leadership in the community, but Kevin knew that to do this, he would still need solitude. Kevin followed the example of Jesus, who gave completely of himself and yet regularly stepped away from the crowds to spend time with his father. Kevin, too, would need to be filled by the God who loved and created him. In God's presence, his soul delighted and he could find nourishment and rest. With the knowledge he was supported and cherished by God, Kevin could say yes to this bird. Brimming with worship and prayer, Kevin could be to others how God had been to him.
When we too have experienced our needs being met by God and others, it prepares us to better meet others' needs. When you consider your current season of life, how do you need to be filled and refreshed by God? What would help prepare you to care for your community? Let's create some space to be filled and refreshed right now. Before we consider how we might care for others, let's look to a psalm to let God meet our needs. In Psalm 84, the psalmist shows an awareness of their need and longing for God, their desire to find themselves in God's community, to dwell in the place where God dwells. Again, we see a picture of God's welcome and hospitality, even for another bird and her eggs. Well, listen to the psalm twice through. As you hear it the first time, ask the Lord to help you notice if there's a particular word or phrase that stands out to you in regards to how you need God to fill you in this season of your life. Psalm 84 How lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty! My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Even the sparrow has found a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may have her young, a place near your altar, Lord Almighty, my King and my God, blessed are those who dwell in your house, they are ever praising you. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. They go from strength to strength, till each appears before God in Zion. Hear my prayer, Lord God Almighty. Listen to me, God of Jacob. 
Look on our shield, O God. Look with favour on your anointed one. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favour and honour. No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. Lord Almighty, blessed is the one who trusts in you. As we listen a second time to Psalm 84, take the word or phrase you noticed and ask God what more it could show you about how God can provide what you need. How lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty. My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Even the sparrow has found a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may have her young. A place near your altar, Lord Almighty, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, they are ever praising you. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. They go from strength to strength, till each appears before God in Zion. Hear my prayer, Lord God Almighty. Listen to me, God of Jacob. Look on our shield, O God. Look with favour on your anointed one. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. For the Lord God is a sun and shield, the Lord bestows favour and honour. No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. Lord Almighty, blessed is the one who trusts in you. Two thousand years ago, a Jewish teenager named Mary was going about her day in a Galilean town when an angel appeared to her and told her that she would hold space in her body to birth a son. The child would be great. He would inherit the throne of King David and he would be called the Son of God. But saying yes to the role in the community of God would be costly for Mary. There is a physical cost to carrying and birthing a baby. She would be saying yes to the pain and discomfort of pregnancy and possible life-threatening risks during childbirth. There is an emotional cost to parenting and caregiving. It requires mental and emotional labor to love and meet the never-ending needs of someone vulnerable. But perhaps the biggest cost of saying yes to this was the potential social cost. Mary was unmarried. She was engaged, but had not yet been sexually intimate with a man. 
if her fiancé abandoned her once he learned she was pregnant? And even worse, not by him? She could end up destitute, disowned by her family, and unmarriageable. In a society where a woman's value and honor was determined by a man, Mary was incredibly vulnerable. And in the best-case scenario, if her fiancé did choose to marry her, Mary would still face the sting of shame, rumors, and gossip. The birth would not be celebrated by her community when it happened. It would be shrouded in shame. But Mary, in spite of these costs, said yes. Mary, someone who was filled by God, could respond to the angel by saying, Here I am, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me just as you have said. Mary responds with a song of worship. Luke chapter 1, verses 46 to 55. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever just as he promised our ancestors. Mary's song of praise here in Luke 1 shows us how she recognized her yes to be just a small part of God's story. She locates her individual action within the whole community of God. Her worship reveals a profound understanding of who this God she worships is. This is a God who notices and thinks of her, a young, unmarried female, someone at the bottom of her society's hierarchy of worth, a God who has been mindful of the humble for generations and generations. This is not just about her. It's not just about how God is to her. This is about how God always is how God has been and will be to future generations. The God Mary worships is a God who performs mighty deeds, and these deeds have to do with a reversal of power dynamics, a reversal of who gets filled and who is sent away empty, a disruption of those with power, scattering the proud and dethroning rulers. The God Mary worships lifts the humble and satisfies the hungry. This God is merciful and remembers his promises. 
when we hear Mary's rich, fiery song of praise. Well, it's no wonder that she said yes to this God. Mary, who didn't yet know all that God would do, was confident that her God fills those who are empty. And she could say yes to the part of service that she would play. She could locate herself within a community story, a community with a merciful, just God. And later, this son she bears, Jesus, who would also say yes to play his role in God's big story. We too can say yes to the merciful God who fills the hungry and is mindful of those in low positions. We too can accept the cost and hold our arms out so long that something new can be birthed. So how is God inviting you to say yes? Is there an egg that has been placed in your hand? Perhaps unasked for? What will it look like for you to tenderly and compassionately care for this person or thing? Both Mary and Kevin say yes to extending themselves and holding space for the sake of new, vulnerable life in their community. In Mary's story, she begins in a low position, and God sees her and shows her favor. Kevin, on the other hand, is invited to step downward into a supporting role. Looking at Kevin's story from this angle, we see that he is not only a man, but a high-positioned man at that. He is the founder and leader of the entire Glendalough community. He has many responsibilities and demands on his time. He is important. But in the Blackbird story, Kevin is not the one who is birthing something new. He is not the central actor. Kevin is holding up the mama bird, he plays the supportive role, the secondary role. He stretches himself out for this little bird and her work of incubating the vulnerable eggs. He chooses into his own inconvenience and discomfort to support her role. Often, we feel like we want to be the one hatching the egg. Instead, we see Kevin leading in a way that says, this is not about me, and accepting the humility necessary to play a secondary role. Kevin recognizes that being part of community involves setting aside our own ideas of what our roles should be so that we can accept whatever bird needs to roost in our palm. Sometimes when we face overwhelming needs, we can try to take upon ourselves more than what we actually should. There may be situations where you are carrying a burden of others' needs 
that is just too much. Or we could take on roles that are not actually ours to play. Are there things that you are taking on that God may want you to release? Or are there ways that God may want to invite others to share in the burden of care that you have said yes to? We're going to hear again from Cortland Hopkins, who blessed us earlier along our Celtic way with stories of Patrick, honored man. These stories are rewritten as gifts for the land from which they came and all who visit, even virtually like us. This time, he'll share a First Nations retelling of Kevin's encounter with his little winged friends. My friends, the Lakota people believe that we are all related. The Lakota phrase for this is mitakuye oyasin. The animals of the sky are the winged peoples. The animals on the ground are the four-leggeds. And we as human beings are the two-leggeds. We are in community with all of creation. As I tell the story, it may help to know that I will refer to the Apostle Peter as stands on the rock, Moses as drawn from the water, and the prophet Elijah as great spirit is creator. Later, after the coming of Honored Man, there was yet another follower of Creator Sets Free. His name was Handsome One, and he was born in abundant lands in a place called Meadow of the Shoeless. He came from a family that had many possessions and was very fortunate. And not only was his family rich, but his name was also true to his appearance, and he was very handsome. He was desired by many young women, and many young men surely would want what he had been given. But Handsome One was wise, probably remembering the story Creator Sets Free told about the wayward son. So Handsome One did not trust in fast and easy living. Instead, he must have spent much time meditating on the story of the rich young man who came up to Creator Sets Free and excitedly asked him about the path to life full of beauty and harmony, which would never fade nor come to a bad end. And who left Creator Sets Free very sad because Creator Sets Free told him to give away all his possessions to the poor and the needy and to follow him. Like the rich young man in the good story, Handsome One's family had many possessions, so Handsome One figured he would avoid the sadness of the young man with many possessions and took none of the inheritance he was owed. He would walk with the Chosen One, Creator Sets Free. Now that that was squared away, he began to look for a quiet place he could find to pray and to be with Creator Sets Free every moment. He found such a place in the Valley of Two Lakes. There, Handsome One built himself a place where he could seek a vision, where he could hear the mighty words of the Great Spirit and hear all the songs the earth makes. So he set himself up there to cry for a vision. Maybe he expected, since he had nothing and had given all of himself to Creator, that he would have an experience like drawn from the water, or Great Spirit is Creator, or when Creator sets free met both of them on the mountaintops and showed these message bearers, 
his sacred bright form. Handsome One was lifting up his hands in prayer, and a blackbird landed on his upraised hand. And since he was in prayer, he was sure that this was a sign. And he sat and watched the bird in awe, since wild birds do no such thing as landing on an upraised hand, or even coming close to people. Then, what must have been a great shock to Handsome One, was the bird started laying out twigs and other things for a nest. Handsome One's arms were getting sore, but he dared not drop the bird nor its nest. Soon the nest was complete, and Handsome One thought maybe he could move the nest from his upraised hands and relieve the agony. However, he fell asleep, and he saw that the blackbird had laid her eggs in the nest. The mother blackbird was so beautiful, and soon Handsome One started praying blessings for Mama Blackbird and her eggs, who hatched after some time. Handsome One watched them grow, and his heart felt for the chicks as they hatched, as Mama fed them, as they approached the edge to fly, and when they did, and took off into the sunny skies, his arms finally dropped and he wept, not tears of grief or pain, but with great joy. He realized the vision he had received. He had seen creation as Creator had, with love and great pain. What blessings from seeing this truth he had felt. We are not alone, and life is not a warlike world defined by tooth and claw, but is a good story that begins and ends with joy, created by one who is love. Handsome One has many tales, and I am sure they are all true in one way or another. We need to listen to the good stories of Creator Sets Free, and the people like Handsome One, to help us in the world that is full of pain, sadness, and fear. We need to hear the stories as such, not as texts for dissection, or as fables for the weak-minded, but as words of the great storyteller, who is trying to tell us the truth to soothe our hearts and begin our healing. Tom Sharp, who pioneered the Journey Ireland pilgrimage within a varsity study abroad ministry, experienced this way of seeing creation through the eyes of Creator in a site where Kevin was known to worship and pray in Glendalough. In 2015, I'd arrived in Ireland earlier than the study abroad students who'd be joining me on a week-long pilgrimage there. So I had the privilege of some extra time on my own in Glendalough. One afternoon, I hiked over to the upper lake, looking for a way to get to a cave called Kevin's Bed. Before climbing the ridge, I had to depart the trail, with a sign warning of dangerous steep terrain to be entered at one's own risk. I carefully made my way across the ridge, down the steep slope, and slid myself into a four-foot diameter hole in the rock face. It was just deep enough for me to fully stretch out. I lay still for a while, feeling the cool stone against my back. The mountain air seemed to embrace me. The Celtic tradition frequently emphasizes spaces like this, where the veil between heaven and earth 
feels a little thinner, the spiritual world a little more tangible. Kevin's bed was certainly one of these thin spaces, and I soon felt my whole self, mind, body, and spirit, encounter the presence of God in a way I'd never experienced before. I had no words, just the feeling of receiving something like a divine embrace. The silence and solitude seemed to heighten my physical and spiritual senses. Though I was by myself, I noticed that I was not alone. Not too far, I saw deer slowly moving through the valley, a mountain goat making its path up the slope on the other side of the water. The occasional squirrel darted about its business, causing me to notice tree branches gently swaying and the smell of pine in the air. I even noticed ripples below me on the lake and the way the clouds subtly changed the pattern of sunlight over everything. I was struck by the thought that I was witnessing nothing short of a cosmic dance with God as the master choreographer. Each element of creation around me played a small but not insignificant part. Then I realized it has always been this way. God's divine purpose, not random motion, slowly playing out over millennia. And it always will be like this too. Everything is dynamic and harmonious dance, bending toward a final act of total union with God. As a middle-aged, Ivy League-educated, white male leader, my heart is too often caught up in my own dreams for impact. I wonder too often whether my work and life matters. Staying busy keeps me distracted from hearing the quiet soundtrack on repeat in my soul. Do you measure up? Does your work really make a difference? Is it really worth it in the end? But in the solitude of Glendalock, my own words and thoughts were quieter so that I could hear the divine chorus around me. This experience remains with me to this day. Somehow the realization of my own smallness was freeing. My worth is not connected to bigness or impact, however noble that impact may be. And yet, at the same time, there's comfort that my smallness does have a part to play, a part joined with creation in harmony. As I sat in that cave and rested in the embrace of my creator, I could let go of my self-evaluations and comparisons to others. After all, even the needles of pine trees swaying in the breeze contributed just as important a role in God's cosmic production as anything I could say or do in a lifetime. I still struggle with my own purpose and worth set in visions of grandeur, but this moment remains an invitation to return to the simple truth that I have a small but not insignificant part reserved just for me in the glorious expansive dance of God's universe.
as our walk comes to a close, may you know the smallness and the significance of your place in God's creation. May you experience the loveliness of God's dwelling place as the branch upon which you rest and renew your strength. And then, filled by God, may you be blessed to live out your part in community, extending to others the care that Jesus has given you.